Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, dodo birds, leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me. If you're watching on YouTube, smash the like button like your Brandon Davies. You have consent, and don't forget why you're here to also subscribe to the CBS Sports College Basketball YouTube channel if you haven't done that already. Let's get into it. There were four games between top 10 teams this weekend. And that was the first time we've ever had a weekend like this in the regular season. We're going to touch on all of them, obviously. But let's start with the one that just concluded inside the Cole Center. Final score, Purdue 75. Wisconsin 69. Zach Eady finished with 18 points, 13 rebounds, 3 blocks. Purdue now 21-2 overall, 10-2 in the Big Ten, alone atop. The Big Ten standings, they now have eight quadrant one wins. Nobody has more. They now have a national best 15 wins inside the first two quadrants. Nobody else, including top-ranked UConn, has more than 11. Deadleg, what'd you make of Purdue's latest big win on CBS? It's America's most watched network. It's the network of stars. Now, get into that, but real quick, as you were saying that, I got asked uh, when I did uh, studio work with Chris Williamson on Saturday night on HQ. Mm-hmm. He asked me, and I didn't know it was coming. He said... This is before the Purdue game. He said, right now, would you take Purdue or UConn if we started the tournament tomorrow? I'm going to ask you. I'll tell you my answer after you give me yours. But if we field it tomorrow and you had to take one or the other, who would you take? Purdue, that has more quad one wins and quad one and two than anyone in the country? Or would you take the Connecticut Huskies, which will hold on to their number one ranking for a fourth straight week when the polls refresh on Monday? I'm glad you asked that because I... You, you you can imagine every day that I tweet a link to a ranking that has Purdue number one instead of UConn. Somebody's got something to say about that. And it's always like, oh, so you think Purdue's better than UConn or you don't think UConn's as good as Purdue. It's always stuff like that. I've never actually said whether I think Purdue's better than UConn. I don't, I don't believe I've ever weighed in on that one way or another. Um, when I rank Purdue ahead of UConn, it is strictly because I believe that the body of work is superior um, I think they're comparable teams. I, I yeah. think they're they're very similar. I think they're both obvious national title contenders. I could see either one of them winning six games uh, in the NCAA tournament. I don't feel strongly about this. You ready for this? Let me put it this way. Right. I feel strongly that Purdue should be ranked number one in the country right now. I feel very strongly about that. I think Purdue has the best resume in the country. They have as many quadrant one wins as UConn. Nobody has more than them and UConn. They have more wins, four more wins inside the first two quadrants than UConn. They have um, six wins over top 25 net teams. Mm -hmm. UConn only has two. 
Mm-hmm. I feel strongly that Purdue should be ranked ahead of UConn right now. I do not feel strongly that Purdue um, is better than UConn. And I do not feel strongly that Purdue is an, a better championship contender than UConn. But to answer your question, because yeah. I, w- I would take Purdue. I'll take Purdue. Ooh, to win the okay. I would take Purdue, but I don't think it's crazy for somebody to make the case for UConn. UConn yeah. is excellent. I can't stress that enough. Excellent, dude. They're they're ridiculous. And we'll get to them quickly later in the show. They're 20 and two. They've had a fully healthy roster like for three games and they're outrageous. I would take UConn, uh, but Purdue has the best overall resume at this point. They get into Wisconsin. They get a win. Nada's going to post a poll here for everyone watching live. We appreciate you joining us on a Sunday afternoon just to see who would you take? Purdue or UConn to win the 24 title, one or the other, which would you lean right now? Because, yeah, the Boilermakers have the best resume. That's not arguable but at, at this point of the season there. And uh, good game on CBS. Love hearing uh, Bird and Raft on the call there. Uh, they had a great call, as always. And I tell you what, um, it was it was a, a satisfactory win for Purdue. It got a little bit, uh, I don't want to say hairy, because I never thought Purdue was going to lose, but it got a little bit weird at the end there. We've had, we've had actually a run here of just... It got weird. It got a little controversial. A yeah. couple of different places. Yeah, it, it, I, I, ultimately, I thought the refs made the right calls or non-calls in the final minute, but it did get a little. It got a little. It did. Not, it like yeah. it did. Did Purdue deserve to win the game? Yes, I think Purdue deserved to win the game. Uh, Wisconsin came up short. Uh, didn't hit a three in the second half. Went zero of ten from three point range on the game. Bucky went three of nineteen from three point range. That's uh, that's rough there. Edie, eighteen points, thirteen boards, four turnovers. Uh, a just okay game from him, but that's he's not really what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the fact that Purdue got the kind of performance here out of Lance Jones, 20 points, 8 of 14 from the field, 6 rebounds, 3 assists, a uh, couple of really like just a lot of a couple of plays out there in that game where it's like, okay, here's a dimension that Purdue has this season that it just it just it, it wasn't there a season ago. And Braden Smith played well as, as well. He had 19.6 rebounds, three assists, although he had, he had a brutal turnover there late in the second half. Uh, lawyer added 12 on top of all that. Um, you know, Purdue just continues to not just rack up really good wins, uh, but the way that it's getting these. And I thought Lance Jones, a senior, um, obviously, who's joined the program this season after being at Southern Illinois, um, a good portal get and like a good a good role player who can star on a given night. I thought that was the most important takeaway there for uh, it, as far as I'm concerned. I, I noticed the same thing. And where I noticed it most, uh, like final minute, where it is starting to get, like Wisconsin cuts it to five. They've got the ball down five. There's a little more than a minute to go. They turn it over and then Lance Jones transition late. He just beat everybody down the court, right? Like that. that's among the knocks on Purdue. Like, did, did, um, are they athletic enough? on the perimeter to deal with the type of team they will theoretically have to run into at some point on their road to the final four. And um, I don't know. You're right. Zach Eady's going to get all the tension, the sophomore guards probably right there after him. But Lance Jones is a, uh, you know, I believe a fifth year player now. Yes. Yeah. Fifth year player, um, you know, got him in the portal and he's instrumental to what they're doing. Like if Purdue is able to break through and get to the final four for the first time since 1980 and win a national title, Zach Eady will be the main reason. But Lance Jones will be on the list of reasons. You're getting good support there. And and ironically enough here, um, they got Trey Coffin Wren came off the bench to score four points. Not a lot of support. 
I don't think Purdue and Kansas are similar in terms of bench support. I truly think that Kansas like has a six man max roster at this point. No, nobody's similar to Kansas in bench support. That's 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 true. Uh, and they, but Purdue didn't get it on the road here, and and it's you can see the minnow the minutes kind of winnowing there for um for Painter and Purdue, but they they got it done and uh, they do it on the road. They dodge taking a third loss in the league. They maintain a stranglehold um, in terms of projection for uh, for Big Ten standings and, and moving forward here. By by nature of the result, they are now tied in the loss column with Wisconsin. Uh, no, Wisconsin took its third loss, right? If I'm thinking off the top of my head here, because Wisconsin had two, so now Purdue has the standalone lead in the Big yeah. There's, but right? Purdue Purdue is now the only two lost team in the Big Ten standings. Yes, that's right. That's right. Because I was, you know what, I. Had, Briefly blanked on the fact that uh, Wisconsin took the took the L at uh, Nebraska here. So, uh, you know, four days ago, eight and one in the league. Now eight and three, and uh, I just brought up the schedule. So they're going to go at Michigan, at Rutgers, home home to Ohio State, Wisconsin. You'll have a you'll have a chance to uh, to regather yourself here. And a quick note on uh, on the Badgers: uh, Tyler Wall, twenty points. Uh, Klesmit played decently well. Um, AJ Store came off the bench and had 14 there. The three-point shooting was the overwhelming thing. Um, it was a good push, but I kind of felt watching the game, having with with the Badgers having it in, in their building and doing well, like down low, like they had more pain points than Purdue GP. Um, I just felt like there was separation between these two teams. And, you know, you give Wisconsin however many points they, they get as an advantage in a matchup like this because they're playing in their building. And even still, um, it was a competitive one. But at the, at the end of the day here, uh, I hate to use a cliche, but like you just kind of look back and you're like, you know what, Purdue just it's, it's the reinforcement that Purdue is on a separate tier from everyone else in the Big Ten. Wisconsin may well prove to be number two in the league. It sits there in the standings now with Illinois obviously creeping in uh, as well. But uh, just don't have enough. Like Wisconsin needs to play an A game, and Purdue probably has to be a B minus for Wisconsin to beat them. That's not what happened here. It was not an A game from Wisconsin, and not being able to, uh, to hit the ocean from the side of the boat in the second half from beyond the arc was ultimately what I think did them in. To your point, and perhaps this is the best way to illustrate just how good Purdue and UConn are. Because I hate when people, and I guess it's just the nature of rankings, particularly when you have different people ranking these two teams differently. Um, then they end up getting pitted against each other. And UConn fans will try to tell you how Purdue's not any good and discount what they've done. And then Purdue fans will try to tell you how UConn is whatever, and they'll discount what they've done. The truth is these are the two best basketball teams in the country, I believe. They certainly have the two best resumes in the country. And what's interesting is they both have other top 10 teams in their league, at least relative to my top 25 and one. We'll see what the AP poll looks like on Monday. But I've got Marquette in the top 10 with UConn out of the Big East. And I've got Wisconsin in the top 10 um, uh, with Purdue out of the Big Ten. Here's my point. These two schools, UConn and Purdue, both are in leagues with other top 10 teams. And I don't think they have a serious threat within their own league. Like they'll lose games. They've already lost games. But even though there are, there's another top 10 team in both of those schools' leagues, I don't think they're seriously threatened for the league championship. I, I, I feel more confident telling you right now that Purdue and UConn will both win their leagues by multiple games, even though there are other top 10 teams in those leagues, than I would telling you that either one of them doesn't win their league this season. I think that's probably uh, that's fair, but let's uh, if you're good with it, let's we got a, we got four top 10 matchups to get to and we're already 10 minutes into the show. <laughs> 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's the NFL offseason, but on pick six, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must-listen. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found. You want to go to Kansas Houston because that that might not apply there. KU 17865. Uh, I saw some of this game. I was traveling back from the from the garden to get up to uh, to HQ Studios, so I missed I missed the start of it. GP was was at home and dialed in for all of it. Um, let's just dive into this one, man. What were your takeaways? What do the people need to know? I've got a few notes, but uh, but you lead the way, my friend. Well, um, it became very obvious very quickly why Kansas is never a home underdog. <laughs> And I missed. And by the way, I missed. I missed the entire start of the game. So it was one of those things where, like, I kind of checked and I was like, "What the hell happened?" It was almost like uh, the Donald Glover community gift where he walks in with the pizzas and everything's on fire. That's what it felt like when I tuned in the, to Kansas Houston. Frankly, I mean, even Kelvin Sampson after the game was like, "Somebody told me we were a favorite today." <laughs> um, that's sacrilege. <laughs> like, how is Kansas ever an underdog? He actually said, "How is Kansas Kansas ever an underdog anywhere, but especially here?" <laughs> So he was like, that's crazy. He said, we're not some super team. (laughs) Y'all act like we're a super team. We're just coming in to be favorites in Allen Fieldhouse. But that is how significantly ahead of uh, everybody Houston is in some of the predictive metrics, most notably Ken Palm. It's they, they are so far. And and you, it's funny because we you I think both of us, but you brought it up on Friday's podcast. Like they are so far ahead of everybody else. Houston is in the metrics that that Ken Palm projected them as a five-point favorite inside Allen Fieldhouse. And we both said, and the betting market said, you can't do that. Yeah, I, it, was, it was a final form one first. I was like, we're not going with the Ken Palm. It is, right. It's in hell. It's going to be minus five by Houston. Like, so I gave it two, and then even that proved to be the wrong. It side. went down to two. It, it opened at two and a half and got bought down to one and a half. But Houston was still a favorite at tip-off. And then, and I, I actually thought this was interesting. Kelvin was like, you, you insult Jayhawk pride <laughs> by telling them that they're, they're not supposed to win in this building. And I do think there's probably something to that in the sense that Bill Self can like look at his team and say, guys, we never lose here, but today we're supposed to, you know, they, and they yeah, just came out. Yeah. They, they just came out on fire. Crowd was amazing. They shot 68.9% from the field against Houston. A week ago, Jerome Tang said, that's maybe the best defensive team I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> And then Kansas shot 69% from the field against them. Nice. Um, I, I saw this somewhere. I apologize. I saw this somewhere. I'm, I'm clearly stealing it, but I can't remember who I saw it uh, from. But uh, the, the note was, let's just say it was Jared Burson, because I assume everything I, should. Let's, let's not. <laughs> let's, let's assume it was Jared. Everything should be Jared Burson. So let's assume it was him. 69%. That's what Kansas shot against Houston. Yes. It is the best shooting percentage 
anybody has ever shot against Houston in Kelvin Sampson's 10 years at Houston, even when Kelvin Sampson was coaching bad teams at Houston at the very beginning. No, no, no. I got one up on you because I got this. I had this last night in the studio. No, 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 no. Jared Burson? No, no, Jared Burson can't even touch our HQ researchers. Oh, wow. It's not it's not 10 years under Kelvin Sampson. There had never been a team in the history of Houston's program to shoot 68.9% against it, ever. So ever. CBS yeah, Sports HQ awesome. research better than Jared Burson? Is that yeah, what we're at I'm now? trying to tell you, but you don't want to listen. I'm trying to listen. Never, I'm trying to listen. Had never happened. Had never. And for Kansas, by the way, it was the highest percentage in a game for KU since it shot 72.1% against Niagara back in January of 97. What was Kansas doing playing Niagara on January 9th, 1997, by the way? It happened. That was the last time Kansas was that good from the field. Um, And this is also from Kansas. I'll give Kansas credit for this note here. The last time a team played a top five opponent and had a better shooting percentage than what Kansas did on Saturday was when Xavier... How about it was the Xavier over St. Joe's game in the quarterfinals of the A-10 tournament, that St. Joe's team that was undefeated. They shot 71.1% that day. That was the most recent instance of a top five team seeing another team shoot better than 69% against it. Uh, just incredible, incredible stuff. And yeah, Houston went into the game allowing 53 points per game. Kansas had 78. Its field goal percentage defense was 35.5. Again, Kansas practically doubled that. Mm-hmm. That is absurd. And then I don't know if you were veering here or not. We at least have to acknowledge the fact that Kansas lacks depth. But now Johnny Furphy is uh, he is morphing into something uh, that is, frankly, incredible for Kansas' ceiling. And I didn't consider them to be a title contender previously because of the fact that we, they don't really have that fifth guy and, and lack of depth and all that. And the metrics have, have been out on Kansas as a top 10 team the entire season. Um, but I know with what I saw on Saturday and I'm not going to overreact to one game at home at the fog. I'm not going to do that. Like they got to go back and play them. And even Kelvin Sampson's like, I can't wait to get these guys at the Fertitta center at the, in the final regular season weekend there. But Furphy is averaging uh, just a shade under 16 points and 7.7 rebounds in his past six games. And he's shooting 16 of 29% from three, uh, 16 of 29 from the field from three point range GP. Um, that is a significant development for Kansas. It's a significant development for the Big 12. Uh, we'll see if that development continues throughout February. Uh, I mean, because Dickinson played well, like McCall, they all had a good games, but it was really Furphy and from what I took and some of his first half contributions that helped set the tone and just kept Houston at arm's length much of the game. I know Houston made a little bit of flirtation there late, but it wasn't in doubt. Kind of like Purdue, Wisconsin. KU was going to take that uh, no matter what. I don't know if you know how to sort data over at BartTorvik.com. Grasshopper, I taught you how to sort data. Yeah, but I mean, you could have forgotten since then. (laughs) Believe me, I have not. I know, but you could have. I could have. That's true. I could have. Yeah. So I now I know how to do it. I do it all the time now. Mm -hmm. I can do it like with Naquan Tomlin, without Naquan Tomlin. I can do whatever I want. It's amazing. All right. Most recently, I did. I did Johnny Furphy. And do you realize that yesterday was his seventh consecutive start? And in those seven games that Johnny Furphy has started, these past seven, mm-hmm. Kansas is performing like a top three team in the country, Ooh. according to Bart Torvik, behind only Purdue and UConn. That's right. There we go. How about that? Is Kansas lost in that stretch, by the way? Did they take an L? Yeah, they actually took two. <laughs> and, they, and they took two, even with that. That's, that's actually damn impressive. That's the case then. Yeah. Um, I didn't drop Houston. 
and, and this bothers people, uh, but I'm just going to look at the, I don't think anybody below Houston deserves to be ranked ahead of Houston. I don't think, I think if the tournament started today, Houston would still be a one seed. I think Houston would still be the third number one seed. So I kept Houston at three. I did move Kansas up a little. And I mentioned earlier, we were picking between Purdue and UConn. Like if you had to pick a national champion now, which one would you pick? You go UConn, sensible. I went Purdue. I think also sensible. Um, if, my preseason pick was Kansas and I'm, you know, I'm not completely comfortable moving off of that one. Uh, and I, I don't think I would have ever been, although having just four players a couple weeks ago was, a, was obviously problematic. Yeah. But they have went from what looked like a four-player team to now they have, you ready for this? Maybe the best starting lineup in college basketball? Um, it's, it is absolutely a discussion. And if you are resisting what Parrish just said, go and go and look around. And it's definitely a discussion. If, if you don't think they're there, they're, it's a top three, top four starting five. I don't think that's debatable at this point. The question becomes attrition after that. And can they survive if they get a couple of guys in foul trouble late against high level opponents when they're not playing inside Fog Allen Fieldhouse? So no, it's, it's absolutely on the, uh, on the table there. And you know, Furphy's development, he's going to go from being a guy who couldn't crack the starting lineup to start the season to potentially being a first round NBA pick, which is a whole, quite the, quite the development there, frankly, for, uh, that's the, that's, the, that's called the Kelly Oubre path to, <laughs> you know what, that, you, you nailed it. I think that's, that's called the Kelly Oubre path to the NBA. You start on the bench at Kansas, then you start playing a little bit and then you go in the top 20 or wherever he went. All right. Knowing how you like to break this down, let's let's try to keep a concerted effort to keep it rolling. It was a stacked weekend and I'm going to try not to get I, we're going over an hour, but try not to keep it too, too long. I'm going to guess you want to talk Carolina Duke next because we're doing these in the way that they were played, the order they were played on Saturday. So Carolina Duke among the top 10 matchups, of course, uh, Carolina wins 93-84. And as we get into this, I'll also note this um, tremendous matchups like Purdue Wisconsin was good, but uh, but not like, you know, crazy good. It's Kansas Houston, a uh, little bit of a laugh for UNC Duke was competitive and it was good and we're going to get to Tennessee Kentucky but none of the games actually met the hype which is unfortunate but nonetheless uh, no shortage of things to uh, to talk about there uh, we said on the show I said on the show Friday Baycott had to be the best player on the floor and damn he was now Harrison Ingram was also tremendous GP um, but Baycott it was his first game of his Carolina, his you know prestigious Carolina career where he had at 25 points 10 rebounds and five assists he also did it on 10 of 13 shooting um, and this after having three straight games where he couldn't even crack 10 points in the scoring column, GP. Uh, it was only the sixth time this season he led UNC in scoring. I just felt like someone with the presence he carries on that team, and he's not the most vocal guy um, on, on the roster, but for, for what he is and who he is and what he can do, I thought it was really, really important. And there's a few talking points I want to get to, but to me, it was Baycott leading the way, and then Harrison Ingram, I mean... He hit five threes, had 21 points, 13 rebounds, four steals. I mean, it didn't like RJ Davis had a couple of timely shots uh, that, that went in, but um, Ingram having a 21 and 13 game parish, and it was his second career double double in which he got to 20 points. Uh, season high, obviously, getting 21 here for UNC. Um, big time stuff in a, in a really good rivalry game. But again, like it, Duke made it interesting. But I don't know. Like, I don't think I at any point thought, all right, I can see a way in which Duke's going to carve out an upset here. I just thought that it was Carolina's night. And while I was, you know, locked in for the whole thing, uh, Tar Heels set the pace and they were able to uh, to get it done. And I'll note, they got it done 
despite not having like a vintagely great defensive night, like Duke scored at more than one point per possession uh, on the evening. That's not a lot. That's something not a lot of teams have done GP and uh, UNC was more than willing to kind of tap into its old school ways and, uh, and make it a race. And, and they won that race winning 93, 84. I had a night around the house on Saturday, wrote a column off of Carolina Duke. I led it with Armando Baycott. Like you mentioned, 25 and 10, those are numbers that if he'd have had them at any point last season or even maybe the season before, you don't even really blink. It almost feels like a 25 and 10 from Zach Eady. But that was his first 25 and 10 in nearly three months. Um, I, I, I sort of led the column this way. Like it's been a secondary story, if a story at all, because North Carolina's great. Um, RJ Davis is a all American. You know, things are good in Chapel Hill. So we haven't spent much time like asking, like, what's wrong in Chapel Hill? Because everything's good in Chapel Hill. But Armando Baycott has had a disappointing season, not from a success team success perspective, but individually, points down, rebounds down, field goal percentage down. Um, you know, I wouldn't have expected that when Caleb Love leaves Carolina, Armando Baycat's stats go the go south. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have assumed that, but that's where we are. But he is still capable of going out and getting you know big numbers like that. And I was uh, it was nice to see him. It was nice to to see him have that night because even if you know it's not leading Sports Center every night, what's wrong with Armando Baycott? The way it might be if say. Uh, Nikola Jokic were struggling, but Armando Bacat was number two on our list of he was. top 101 college basketball players heading into the season behind only Zach Eady. Now, if you want to argue that was always wrong, I'll listen to you. But it was like he was always going to be in everybody's top five. So we're really only arguing about it was two. Based, yeah. Yeah. Was based on him being a stat monster and him being, I thought, I thought he'd average, he'd clear 20 and 10 averages this season. Yeah. Uh, in the case. yeah. So it, it it um it hasn't been uh, so even if it hasn't been leading sports center, I guarantee you Armando Baycott is very aware that his fifth season of college basketball is from a individual perspective is is not as statistically strong as 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 some other seasons and so for him to have that night massive and then for Carolina to handle Duke with very little issue um, while R J Davis wasn't spectacular also encouraging like um, I, I I might be. Uh, ready to say the same thing about Carolina that I said earlier about Purdue and UConn. Um, there are other good teams. Well, I, I'm not sure how many other good teams there are in the ACC, <laughs> but let's yeah. call Duke a good one. Let's call Duke a good one. And yes. Carolina looks like it's clearly the best team in the ACC. And, and and I'll say this, and then I'll turn it back over to you. I was watching you on HQ on Saturday night, and I thought you had it right. You you made a point to emphasize Duke is good, but you chose that word. They're good. They're not yes. great. They're just good. Right now, five and five in the first two quadrants, four quadrant one wins, three losses in quadrant two. Uh, they've never been high. And this maybe sort of highlights the good, not great. They've never been higher than 13th in the net. They're now 14th at Ken Palm. I've got them 15th in the top 25 and one. This is a great roster. But right now, it's more of a good team than a great team. Yeah, it's good. If you call them pretty good, I think that's fair. Um I don't even in the micro like Tyrese Proctor, uh, you know, he coming into the game, 
uh, past five games, 16 and a half points, two and a half rebounds, two and a half assists, shooting 50% from the field and 48.4% from three point range. That was Tyrese Proctor, the five preceding games. And then he, he laid an egg and that's not the end of the world. It's fine. Duke's got some good contributions elsewhere. They had what? Had three guys hit, uh, hit 20 points in this game. And that's a function obviously of getting to 80 overall. Um, but Carolina has been the better team this season and it's had the better defense there. And yeah, if Duke had won, that, that certainly would have been quite intriguing. Uh, and to get to that level of can Duke be great? Like you got to go in and win at Carolina and Duke didn't do that. And they were competitive and they get the return. Just like every, every top 10 matchup we have here, I'm almost positive. All 10, uh, all, I think all these are return games, the final week of the regular season. So this that is, is true. Uh, I, I saw Fran for point that out. All four, all eight of these teams that played each other this weekend will play each other again on the final weekend of the regular season. And it actually breaks down exactly the same. Carolina Duke on Saturday, Kentucky, Tennessee on Saturday. What's the other one I'm missing? Uh, Kansas, Houston on Saturday, right. and then Purdue, Wisconsin on Sunday. Same It'll thing. Be a CBS game. Okay. So, so and you know, uh, we're not going on a limb to say that it, the results are not going to all go the same way again. Like some, at least one, probably two. Oh, they probably all go the opposite way. We could, we could flip it and reverse it. Uh, and, I mean, they and probably we'll won't. That's not right, but you get the point. Yeah, I know. I, well, you never know. But so, you know, we're not going to sit here and overreact to a single result on a single day, uh, but try and give you I at am. least a perspective. No, let's not. Let's, let's try, let's try no, not going to give to. perspective on what we saw here in the game and then how it reflects on what the teams have done so far. And Duke beating Carolina at Cameron in what, six weeks from now, five weeks from now, definitely on the table. Wouldn't surprise me. I'm pro- I'll probably pick Duke to win the game when we get to that for the final four and one leading on, on that Friday show. But here, Duke allowed 45 points against UNC most of this season. It faced its largest halftime deficit of the season, 10 points. Its largest overall deficit in a game, 15 points. This was Shires. He's just, you know, just started the job. It was his first loss to Carolina, by the way, as well as a head coach. And how about Hubert Davis? He's seven and five all time now when he has to coach against a top 10 team in the AP top 25 poll. This is third season as a coach. He's doing okay. It's been bumpy. It's been noisy. Fans have, uh, have, have, you know, made a racket, but, um, but stay in the course here and not uh, had the uh, had the graphic up on the screen. Carolina is going to be a one or two seed, folks, because I'll knock on wood, I guess, if you're a UNC fan. The four most recent instances or the three most recent instances of this happening, them getting to 10 and one or better in ACC play, all ended with them on the one line or the two line. And that happened in 01, 98 and 87. And when you look at what it's accomplished now, if it dodges the landmines in the league, uh, mark UNC down for getting uh, for getting a high seed and a good uh, a good season of redemption for the Tar Heels. What they do in the tournament, it's a different conversation altogether. To this point, they are getting it done. And if you're a UNC fan, I got to figure you're, you're happy with the fact. Like you probably wish you could held Duke under seventy five in your building, and I get that, but you don't need RJ Davis to be a top two player on the floor to beat Duke. I think that's a pretty uh, a pretty good development. Like even like Cormac Ryan hitting the big corner three after it must have been Ingram that saved the ball, made the play, and they saved it at half court. Cadeau kicked it around. Like there were just moments in that game where it's like, yeah, they they got something good going here, and uh, and clearly just established themselves. Now they have a two game lead with the uh, with the ACC ledger, and uh, yeah, everyone's staring up at the Tar Heels. Based on what happened this weekend, and based on home court advantage, I would predict on this moment. That that final weekend of the regular season, Tennessee completes a regular season sweep of Kentucky. Purdue completes a regular season sweep of Wisconsin. But Houston gets even with Kansas. And what's my other one? With, uh, well, you've got 
Duke, Carolina, and then and then uh, and then Duke. I think Duke gets even with Carolina. I think that's probably how that goes, right? We uh, we shall we shall see. And, uh, and I would I would I, I understand your point. I'd push back a little bit on the idea that it, if you're great, you got to go win at Carolina. No. I think I think great teams can will lose at Carolina. No, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not. It's not, it's not one of the same. But I'm more like saying right. if we want to talk about being a great team, then you go and you win the game. That's I all. Got, yeah, I got yeah. that. That would be the thing that make us would make us start wondering is do great right? Yes. But I don't. I think you can be great in the absence of a win at Carolina. Yeah. Um, but but can you be great when you're five and five in the first two quadrants with three losses in quadrant two? And that's what Duke is right now. That's what Duke and, is and right yeah, now. I, I would say you can't be great if that's you your cannot point. be great. And you mentioned Tyrese Proctor um, laying an egg. You said it's not the end of the world. What if it was though? What it's if Tyrese? Not, Pro- I know, but what if it was? What if Tyrese well, Proctor laying an egg if was he, actually the end of the world? Yeah, if, if it holds the. The fate of our existence in his. <laughs> in I would not want no. Ty Re- Tyrese Proctor's no. <laughs> consistency no. to be tied to the end of the world. No, it's yeah, exactly. That would be rough for all of us. Right now, the only one really struggling with Tyrese Proctor's inconsistency is John Shire. But if we but if we connect this to the end of the world and it's over for us now, it's, we all got skin in the game. By, by now the way, we all got skin in the game. Before we transition to Tennessee, Kentucky, um, I had I was able to watch most of this with the sound on. Uh, Dan Shulman, who I know is listening to this pod, did we not get an ask the crow flies? Did he not drop it on the broad? He never said he would. Let me be clear. He never. We we foisted this upon him, but I was hoping he might come through. I don't think that happened though. All right, like, tell me if this. Tell me if this is. I did, I did not hear every word because my middle guy had indoor soccer last night, and uh, so I'm 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 streaming the game through my phone into my AirPods at the indoor soccer game. So I'm yeah. glancing, but mostly listening to uh, to Dan and Jay on the broadcast. Is that inappropriate to be listening to a basketball no. game at indoor no. soccer? No, 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 you're good. Okay, yeah, no, you're, I, you're I thought so. Good. Good. Well, you go double, double, double pod here, or just one? What are we double, doing? Here? Double. double? Yeah, fairly acceptable. But first half completely acceptable. Second half close game. You might have to take at least one out there. Yeah, I was home by the second half, but the first okay. half I had to. Uh, so I didn't hear every single word, right? Because every once in a while, even at indoor soccer, somebody wants to go like a, you know, somebody wants to talk to you, right? Yeah. And I you know, know some, you hate that. I know somebody's always trying to talk. Yeah. <sighs> so I didn't hear every word, but I to answer your question, I did not hear the word crow mentioned at all. Which is yes, if I'm being honest. A little disappointing. That's a little bit disappointing. All right, let's see. Oh, man, half hour in. We still got to get to the fourth top 10 game. And then the whip around here. Tennessee 103, Kentucky 92. Sakai Ziegler. You want to talk about like, you know, you didn't uh, you didn't have RJ Davis going off for UNC. You didn't have Dalton Connect. I said that 27 and a half points. The under. I, I took the under. You you were correct. You were right. And I was I was wrong. Uh, Connect, I think, at 16, I think. Uh, Zakai Ziegler, 26 points, which ties a career high and a career best. 13 assists. Josiah Jordan James, where you been all our lives, man? Career high 24 no, points. He has been at Tennessee all our lives. That's what are you right. talking about? Not this one, though. He's, He's been in Knoxville all of our years. lives. Uh, man, oh, man, oh, man. Um, Tennessee going in. Shouts to, uh, to Will Warren, who does that stuff on Twitter. He had this. Tennessee had the most points in a road game in 31 years. And then courtesy of our HQ researchers, Kentucky just allowed 90 points in back-to-back games for the first time in 30 years since 1994. We've talked about the Kentucky defense plenty on the pod. We don't need to go too hard on them again because, well, frankly, it's obvious. But, geez, man, Tennessee coming into your building, this hype game, and you allow 103? Has a team ever, has a team ever scored 59 
in Columbia, South Carolina, and then 103 in Lexington in the same week because that's what Tennessee just did. Oh, boy, man, oh, man. I bet that's never happened. (laughs) Get CBS Sports HQ research on that. Has anybody ever scored 44 more points Mm. in Lexington than they did in Columbia in the same week? That that honestly feels unprecedented in GP. It it does. And Tennessee, like, it out-efforted Kentucky – um, Dillingham had 35. He's awesome, but he well, it's all one sided. Don't get me wrong. I, I like watching him. He had he gave a few away and then he gave up who knows how many points. I, I mean, know, but at least he cares. Did you I see, agree? I, I did you see his post game quotes? I love them. He's yeah. like, he said, I don't want to keep hearing my the same bad stuff said about me all the time, so I'm trying to take pride in it. Like, at least he cares. I agree. I agree. Well, and it was good to hear a quote from him. Cal, I guess, skipped his post-game radio. That's more of kind of a local Kentucky thing. But listen, we're going to call it Mick Ronan for not to the post-game press conference. Yeah. Cal usually does radio. And now you know, this is now a uh, – if two games is a skid, uh, we'll call three games a slide. And, and Kentucky is veering into that territory because it's lost three of its past four. And – Tennessee was at 1.38 points per possession in this game, GP. Uh, it just, I, I thought, I, I thought Kentucky would win a close one, and to see Tennessee do this, man, they are now seven and one. This is a damning statistic. Barnes is <laughs> seven and one when facing Kentucky when Kentucky's ranked in the top ten. Wow. wow. That is incredible. incredible. Seven and one. And obviously Cal's been there the whole time because Cal's been at Kentucky longer than Rick's been at uh, at Tennessee there. So Tennessee fans, you got some good reassurance. Even if Kentucky's, you know, wobbly as hell right now, and I get that, uh, you just got some reassurance about, like, why you should have some real hope in the tournament. Now, Barnes in the tournament, again, we'll save that for March. But in the here and now, you go into Rupp Arena, I, I really, really, GP. I thought this might have been the was going to be the best of the four we've talked about in terms of competitiveness and intention, and, and you know maybe no team holding a lead larger than six or seven points. Uh, I was way off on that. Tennessee dropping one hundred three. It's, it's uh yeah, they're down bad in Lexington right now, and with good reason. Um, obviously they didn't have DJ Wagner, and that matters, but it shouldn't. It, matter. it shouldn't matter this much. Yeah, they like sometimes you can lean on like we didn't have our guy, but. DJ Wagner should not the absence of him should not be the reason you give up 103 at home um, to a team that just scored 59 in, at South Carolina a few days earlier. All that said, Kentucky's 15 and three with DJ Wagner. Oh, and three without him. <laughs> they, they've literally never won with him. Yeah, we, maybe there is something. <laughs> so, maybe, the, maybe the fate of, of the world lies in DJ Wagner. Saying something. <laughs> hey, I, I just, um, I saw this from Matt Jones, Kentucky Sports Radio. Kentucky's now lost back-to-back home games. Um, they've only done that eight times in school history. And this. this is this is another like that. I mean, this stuff starts to pile up when 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 all I got to do is go to Kyle Tucker and Matt Jones, and I'm just getting one bad bullet point after another about your program. Stuff starts to stack up. Eight times in history, Kentucky's lost back-to-back games at Rupp, and three of those eight times are in the past four years. That was from Matt Jones, Kentucky sports radio. And so, you know, I mentioned you can't call Duke great when they're just sitting here at five and five in the first two quadrants. Well, guess what? Kentucky is five and five in the first two quadrants, only two quadrant one wins. They've got a quadrant three loss at home to Wilmington. Um, the Wildcats are now outside of the top 25 in the net. Kempom, Torvik strength mm-hmm. of record now is 37th. Like UK will probably 
stay ranked in the AP poll on Monday because AP voters are um, some of them, not all, but certainly some are uh, lazy and or incompetent. They're casuals. Some yeah. casuals. Yeah. But um, I don't have the Wildcats in the top 25 and one, and they should not be ranked right now unless you're just ranking teams on, you know, who has the most NBA players. <laughs> like that, you know, then you put Kentucky number one. That's where they would belong. But the resume is not top 25. The computer numbers are not top 25. The recent play is not top 25. Like, I'm still intrigued by the upside of Kentucky, but through 21 games of this season, uh, they're just a high upside team with a terrible defense that now ranks outside of the top 100. Yeah, that big Z game is such a long time ago. Although, I oh, will- since then, you ready for that? Four games. How many He's minutes? averaging 1.3 points, two rebounds, yeah. and 0.7 blocks in six minutes per game. And Great. he got a DNP against Tennessee Great. in the four games since he had this breakout. And everybody was like, go ahead and give the championship to the Wildcats. They're one and three since then. That is something, man. I wonder uh, I wonder if we look back and are like, things were going so well. And then this dude got eligible and everything went wrong, which I would not be his fault, of course. What, I, no, it would be. Big Z ruined Kentucky's season. Naquan Tomlin ruined Memphis's season. There's a lesson in here. I will say I am not out on Kentucky's March future prospect. Me neither. I'm Me neither. There'll, there'll be an eight seed in the Elite Eight. Watch. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. You know what? And... Wouldn't it be just so college basketball, so Cal, so Kentucky, if that were to wind up happening? Because uh, they would be a t- if that happened and they wound up on the eight line, they'd be a terrifying eight seed. Like, don't get, don't get, don't. Get it's the, they were eight seed and had to, and played Wichita State. State. Yeah, and that, yeah. that's that uh, that year yes, they, that uh, they made the final four. So yeah, um, there we go. All right, let's. Uh, you want to take us to break here, GP? I mean, I don't um, just let's see, let's see what else I got here. Let's see what else I got yeah, here. He's here before we keep going. Yeah, I think that's enough. Okay. I think that I, th- I think that's all my Kentucky bullet points. Let's move on. We'll bounce around the country next, just a little bit. First, though, let's get a word from our partners. Hey, Deadleg, we have discussed each of the top ten matchups from the weekend. What else we need to know? Let's uh, let's do a quick Big Twelve minute. Might take a couple minutes here. Uh, all things Big Twelve. Um, right now, the Big Twelve standings. Take a peek at that, by the way. Big 12 standings right every now. Day, every day. I got them right for you. You want them? I got it right for you. What do you want to know? Let the people know about the Big 12 standings as they as they stand on Sunday, February 4th. Kansas and Houston are now tied atop the league standings, both 6-3 and three in the conference. Iowa State, Baylor, Texas Tech are all tied for third with 5-3 and three league records. If you're interested, Ken Palm now has Houston still projected as the conference champion with a 13-5 and five record. It has Kansas, Iowa State, and BYU all finishing tied for second two games back at 11 and seven and TCU and BYU have four losses. So we have seven of the 14 teams in the league with either three or four losses, uh, parody, uh, run amok there in the big 12, uh, Baylor beat Iowa state 70 to 68. We'll focus in on that game specifically in just a second. Um, Iowa State got back into it with a 20-0 run after Scott Drew was ejected for the first time in 707 career games. We will get to it in just one second. Um, ISU is now 1-10 in its last 11 games in Waco, and it almost won the damn game. Uh, Milan Milacholovic, he hit a bank shot that barely wasn't good. There was 1.2 on the clock. If there was 1.5, Iowa State would have pulled out the win. And Baylor fans uh, might be naked in the streets in anger had that been the case. Uh, but Baylor got the win. The officiating left a lot to be desired, including the AD going to the podium and killing the Big 12 rush. You almost <laughs> never see that. Elsewhere in the Big 12, though, three quick notes. There are three ranked teams. 
that all lost to unranked competition. Cincinnati, the sneaky one of the weekend, goes into Lubbock and beats Texas Tech. Um, that's a big one. The game had 14 lead changes and eight ties. It was Tech's first loss at home this season. UCF winning at home against number three, number 23, Oklahoma, 74-63. It was UCF's second biggest win ever by margin over a ranked opponent. Good on Johnny Dawkins' team, um, who doesn't have a tournament resume yet, but like they're 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 getting they're they're like the next four out after the next four out after the next four out after the next four out. But they've got some notable wins there. And then uh, TCU, 25th in the country as of this weekend. That'll change on Monday. Lost 77-66 to Texas. Max Asmus outscored TCU 13-2 in the final three and a half minutes of the game. It was 64 all. Texas got it done despite horns down shirts down there at uh, at the frog pond there. Uh, horns up, though. Horns up. I'm equal opportunity. I'm, I'm with you. Horns I'm up. equal opportunity. When it's sunny outside, I say it's sunny. When it's raining outside, I say it's rainy. When you lose two straight, it's horns down. But when you get a 13-2 run from Max Asmus, that's Let's horns go. up. That's horns up. It is horns up. So three ranked Big 12 teams took a le- took an L, which is why we see the the ledger in that league, what it was, what you heard GP say before. But let's circle back around. Floor is yours. Baylor beats Iowa State 70 to 68. And I just, I, I can't remember a game this season where a high major team took a more scenic roller coaster ride to a victory than this one man it was all over the place and uh and i guess as someone at the top of the chat at the top of the show i guess i maybe need to take some of the blame although it's not my damn fault i just wrote the story because one of drew's technicals was because he was outside the coaching box so big 12 refs are now taking this so and it wasn't even that egregious like oh god you weren't you weren't even mad about that one i wasn't even mad about that one but he got a team because he was on one knee (laughs) He was actually, you know, it should have counted like, uh, like, uh, like either the QB throwing for the for the throwing your your whole body has to be past the line of scrimmage. Drew's foot was still inside the box, but I yeah. digress. Thoughts on Bears over Cyclones and just the weirdest game of the day. I think it was just goofy. It was just goofy. That, I, I guarantee you, fifteen coaches yesterday did more stuff worthy of ejection than what Scott Drew did. I texted him. I was like, dude, at least tell me you called somebody a sea sucker or something. Please. <laughs> please. And he said, no, he didn't cuss at all. <laughs> I said, okay, well, I was cussing for you. I was cussing for you. It's, it's just absurd. I mean, I, 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 I do think officials should hold college coaches to a higher standard of behavior. I, I do believe that. I totally disagree with what happened in Baylor, Iowa State on Saturday night. That was outrageous. He should not. The guy has never been thrown out of a game for a reason, and he did not do anything worthy of being ejected from that game. And if you want to say, yeah, but he was, stop it. There's a difference between being out of the box a little bit in a total inconsequential way and like actually being on the court in a defensive stance. One is the thing me and Norlander have been talking about. The other one is what Scott Drew got ejected for, and he should not have. It's he should just, not have been removed from that game. It's wild. Um, and and you know, longtime listeners know, like I rarely get on the show and start like 
bitching about the zebras and stuff like that. This one was just at a lot and took forever to finish. Uh, Baylor even got bailed out because they wanted a timeout, but Jay Nunn just kept going, hits it, what winds up being the uh, the game winner there with a little more than a second to go. Uh, and Baylor stops its three game slide, uh, or you know, after it had a three game slide, I guess it beat UCF right, and then it got this one. So it's uh, it's back on the brighter side. Iowa State, I don't think it played since it won against Kansas a week ago. Had a big buildup. Couldn't get the uh, couldn't get the W. Let's uh, let's keep moving on here. I was at the Garden, uh, UConn seventy seven, St. John sixty four. Actually, nada. Do we have poll results? I'm curious. It's been uh, it's been like forty five minutes since we put that up. Purdue or UConn right now? What's uh, what's the chat say? More likely national champion. I'm going to guess UConn's winning that poll. What's UConn uh, what's... winning that? By, it's sixty seven percent. It's sixty seven to thirty three percent. UConn. Totally okay. reasonable. I like. I. I don't. Okay. I don't disagree strongly or at all with anybody. Like we talked about earlier, with somebody saying Connecticut's the best team in the country. I think. Just I think. I'm yeah. watching it, and that's that's what they look like to me. The only thing that drives me crazy is when people say you are an idiot if you think there's anybody better than Connecticut, because that 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 seems silly to me. Yeah. Um. Connecticut doesn't have the best resume in the country. Purdue does. Um, Connecticut's not number one in the predictive metrics. Houston is. Yeah, and true. then and Purdue is still ahead of UConn at Ken Palm and in most of the other predictive metrics. So if you want to just say, I've been watching ball my whole life, and when I watch no. ball, I don't see nobody better than UConn. Fine with me. Whatever. But if you're actually trying to evaluate what teams have done, Purdue has done more than UConn. They've won 15 games inside the first two quadrants. UConn's won 11. They have six wins over top 25 net teams. UConn has two. They had the same number of quad one wins, the same number of losses inside quad one, the same number of losses outside quad one. But there's some high-end stuff that Purdue has accomplished that UConn simply has it. It doesn't mean I think Purdue's better than UConn, but the idea that anybody thinks it's stupid to have Purdue ranked ahead of UConn. Like if you actually have tweeted at any point in the past few weeks, it is stupid to have Purdue ranked of UConn. You are just showing yourself as a stupid person. <laughs> UConn won 67-64 for St. John's. I was there. It was an incredible environment. UConn pulled away at the end. No Alex Caravan, no starting forward. And that's the thing is like Stefan Castle. He had a, he had a career high, the freshman earlier this week, 20 points against Providence. And then what did he do on Saturday? A career high 21. So, if Castle's going to emerge like this, they don't even have Caravan. The ceiling is higher, I think, than anyone else in the country. And you, that was reaffirmed there. Uh, I wrote about a little on the game. Um, I didn't put this in the, in the story because I didn't I didn't see it. I was looking at Donovan Klingham and Cam Spencer at the end. I think it was UConn's social media account put this out there. But Cam Spencer was going, he was waving, waving, and he goes, see ya, go home. And he's like, because all the lower bowl was like heavy St. John's. And then the upper bowl was just blanketed in UConn Navy blue there. And uh, Cam Spencer does not give enough. And the team taking on this whole mindset of Hurley, um, I tell you what, just covering the sport. I know for UConn fans, it's intoxicating. I I, I get that. Um, and they are building themselves. They're in an interesting spot, UConn is. Reigning champions, um, a fun way, uh, a fun team in, in the way that they play. And they've got, uh, I think a lot of people like watching them. But they are almost leaning into a slight... Slight, not not heavy, but like a slight villainous role because they need like they need a little bit more edge. And uh, and I talked to Hurley after, and he was like, he reinforced like we're not giving up this number one belt. Like to him, like he's carrying around this WWE boxing belt, whatever you want to call it. He's like, I, we don't want to give it up. And then he was like, listen, man, we didn't win 
the Big East last year, not the regular season, not the not the postseason title. And so that's what that's what this means. Uh, that's why it means so much to me. Uh, he had a good quote about Patino and how they're not the best of friends, but he respects the hell out of them and they piss each other off with recruiting and like typically good uh, Rick stuff. Patino wasn't as uh, wasn't as quotable, although I did ask Rick. I was like, you know, after what had happened, you know, this building and he you know, was like, we're going to play Connecticut here next year. I was like, OK, <laughs> I was like, it was, it was it, did you decide it today? He was like, well, when I walked out and saw the crowd and it being a sellout crowd, like I don't even know the last time St. John sold out a, a regular season game at the Garden. I on I, it might be 10, 15, 20 years. I don't know. I don't know if they ever did it with Mullen. Um but the environment was incredible. It was, I'm going to go there, GP. It was like an Elite Eight type of environment. I'm sorry. Oh, wow. Straight up was. Like that, what we got on Saturday until UConn decided, you know what? We're done with this. Let's go. Um, it was Big East level, Big East tournament level kind of game there. And uh, and as it should be on that stage, UConn St. John's, Hurley versus Patino. Uh, as quirky and interesting as that might be to play at Carnesecca. Uh, the garden is where that game needs to be. And um, I would say the fan split, I'd say it was probably 55, 45 St. John's UConn came heavy and uh, just good theater. We don't need to go too long on it. You got any thoughts though on, uh, on what UConn did? I do. Okay. Um, first, I would say that I'm glad Rick has reconsidered. I don't doubt there is an advantage to playing this game on campus and limiting how many UConn fans can get into the building. But ultimately I think it, at some point, you you could you, you need to take that set it aside. What's best for St. John's? What's best for the Big East? What's best for college basketball? It's those two programs and those two national championship winning coaches inside Midtown Manhattan, inside the Garden. That's where that belongs. And I, I get your point. I, um, and and people say this stuff all the time. Like, it felt like an Elite Eight game. And I'm not even doing the normal joke we normally yeah. do. Um, because people say it and it's meant to be a compliment. Yeah. I would argue what you, you now, now I, you have to tell me I wasn't yeah. there. I would argue it's better than an elite eight game because an elite eight game you're going to have, it's, it's typically a, in a city where neither team is from. It is. Yes. Yeah, some fans of this team and some fans of that team, but also just people who are just yeah. there. Cause it's an elite eight game. Whereas UConn St. John's in the garden, I'm assuming it's almost nothing, but UConn and St. John's fans, I would argue yeah. That what we get there is actually better than an elite eight game. Yeah, I actually, I think the, the line I had in my story was um, the, the environment there is the best neutral court, not even neutral court, but like you know um, that kind of environment that you're going to get uh, absent of a true home court advantage before we get to March. You know, because that's like half hey, St. John's home arena, half night. If you get what I'm saying there. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, you you have a very uh, a very good point. And before we uh, before we move on, I was writing my story on the train back up to uh, Connecticut. So I was writing and I happened to be sitting next to two UConn fans uh, that didn't know each other, but they were just talking. One guy had lost his voice and uh, and I didn't really talk too much because I was trying to, to get the story done before I had to go on HQ. And then um, uh, but they had like said one thing. So I chimed in here and there and then I, I get off at the stop and I was like, good luck to your Husky guys. If you want to read about the if you want to read about them, I'll have a story up on CBS Sports. And the guy goes, wait a second. Are you my Norlander? <laughs> and I, was like, I was like, I am, man. Congrats. He's like, oh my gosh, I listen to the podcast every time. So that guy's listening to this show. Oh. He was on cloud. He was on cloud nine. I told them, I told both of them, I'd give him a shout uh, on the show there. So, and yeah. that train, that's the other thing. I, I covering this world, like going down to the city and coming back, just packed with Connecticut fans and, uh, and, and Big East basketball, just continually meeting more and more and more with each passing year. And just again, like St. John's, we don't know if they're going to get the tournament. 
But Saturday felt vital. And Patino's team, like, lost. They've lost, what, five of the past six? But it still meant something, and that's the power, and it is the Rick Patino effect. And uh, and I'd like to see those two face off again in March. But as I wrote, I don't think these coaches have any desire to see each other in the Big East tournament. But I think everyone else would really love to see St. John's get one more crack at UConn in the Big East bracket. And I, you mentioned Dan's quote. I like the way he put that. Like, listen, me and, me and this guy are never going to be best friends, all right? But I respect him. <laughs> He's an amazing like and now I'm I'm inserting words here, but like he he went out of his way to to acknowledge we might not see eye to eye on everything. And I think there was a quote in there like, you know, we're, all these biggies coaches, we're all trying to kill each other, right? Um, but I I did like I I I think it's okay sometimes to say, I don't I don't like that guy, but he's good. I, I remember one time I went to visit a coach in the preseason. I don't even want to get specific with it, but I went to visit it was a city. It was a place where there are two programs either in the same city or near each other. All right. And I went to see this one practice first and the coach was like, so what, uh, how long are you in town? I was like, well, you know, I'm, I'm bouncing around a little bit. Uh, I'm leaving here tomorrow. He's like, where are you going next? And I told him and he goes, this was the, co- I never forgot this. He goes, I hate that MFR, but they're really good. You should go there. <laughs> I just, and I, I appreciated that. Like I can't stand that guy, but but you, they're but he's good, man, and they got a really good team, and you should go there. And that's what I felt I was hearing from Dan yesterday. Like, hey, we we ain't best buddies, um, but I respect him. I respect what he's doing. And I, I mentioned this yesterday on HQ, and I think Rick sort of uh, said something similar. I'm not ruling out uh, there's that there's a day where Rick Patino has St. John's like at yeah. that level. Yes. All right, I, I can envision that. But in this moment, those programs are at two very different places. And, and that was on full display Saturday afternoon. Yeah. Patino flatly was like, they are better than us. And it was just, it was no bones about it. And that is the case. Uh, and I, I want to I I say one thing and then, and then we'll move on. Are you done with UConn? And, I'm done with and, uh, okay. I just want to, because earlier I said, it's a little frustrating that when you, you're asked to contrast and compare Purdue and UConn, it, it ends up coming across like you're dumping on one or the other. And I don't like that because I think these are two excellent basketball teams. So let me just say one thing about UConn. I don't think UConn should be ranked number one in the country right now, but Dan Hurley would get my vote for national coach of the year. The job he's done is amazing. And he lost three of his top six scores. And he still has a team that is ranked number one in the country right now. Still has a team that is an obvious contender to, to win back-to-back national championships. And Oh, by the way, while some coaches in some places are very eager to point out who they don't have available to them. Stefan Castle missed six games. It has not mattered. Donovan Klingen missed five. It didn't really matter. Alex Carabin didn't play on Saturday at St. John's. It didn't matter. UConn's 20 and two, and they have had key players miss games this season. And it has, if it's mattered at all, it's barely mattered at all. And that's why Dan would, would be my national coach of the year right now. All right, let's keep it uh, keep it moving here. Auburn, we'll note him. Finally got the quad one win. Uh, checked in with Bruce Pearl real quick earlier on Sunday. And uh, he said, yeah, that, that was a thing for other people to worry about. I wasn't concerned whatsoever. And uh, we keep moving. Auburn's schedule is a beast, by the way. Um, they won at Mississippi. And uh, let me bring this up real quick here because I was checking it. So this was a big... I thought this was a big one for, for the Tigers. 7-2 in the league. They're one game behind Bama, which destroyed Mississippi State. 18-4 overall for Auburn. And this starts a stretch where next 
game is home against Bama on Wednesday at Florida, desperate and took a weird loss uh, at Texas A&M. But at Florida, that'll be a tricky one there. Home against South Carolina, home against Kentucky. Then they're at Georgia. You know, you never know. And then at Tennessee, then home to Mississippi State. Auburn is going to take on losses here. I don't know if it'll be one, two or three, but it's a gauntlet coming up. I actually thought that was a pretty critical, not just to finally get a Q1 dub, GP, but to, to get one on the road there. Uh, they had six guys in double figures. Jalen Williams had 16 and Janai Broom had 15, nine and seven. And, uh, and I thought that was important, but uh, overall that was, uh, that was not, that was not your primary takeaway from this game. Was it? Oh, the highlight was the highlight. <laughs> we have to get to this. Morgan Freeman, accomplished actor, a legend, living legend, if you will. I don't know, but I don't know if you know that me and Morgan Freeman, we got a lot in common. I did not know this. We both call Mississippi home. Okay. And Morgan Freeman is an Ole Miss fan. And sometimes he goes to Ole Miss games. And sometimes he touches the players at Ole Miss games. The whole thing was kind of weird. Let's watch it together. What is going what? on here? Why is he grabbing? That is. <laughs> okay. So then he, sh- uh, first of all, can I get a little credit? I call this the handshake redemption. Yeah, that was good. The handshake redemption. That was very okay. good. And then he, if, if you didn't see it, look it on social media. If you're watching on YouTube, you obviously just saw it there. But Janai Broom takes a three. And then it was one thing that like they were, they were bracing for him. But then Morgan Freeman just got a little, he just got a little bit of a jersey. And naturally, Janai Broom. Just kind of swats it away. And then uh, imagine though, like you do that and it's like, oh my God. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. I just swatted Morgan Freeman. That is exactly what happened. He had no idea who he was swatting away. And when he turned around and saw, it was like, imagine you're not expecting to see Morgan Freeman and then he's right there in front of your face. That's a weird thing. That was uh, that was incredible. Morgan Freeman said, he said, I thought it was an old Miss fan just grabbing my jersey and, uh, and holding That's what it was. Him. Yeah, well, that's literally what it was. But then he was said, I'm a big time movie guy. I probably watched one of his movies coming on the plane here because, again, they were a, a road game. But uh, he said, Morgan Freeman said, just keep playing. And that's the extent of my Morgan Freeman impression for you. Just keep playing, son. I think it's awesome. I, I think I, I feel like I've seen Morgan Freeman at least one Ole Miss game at some point. I feel like I've seen that somewhere, but uh, for him to pop up at this one, yeah, it was, it, was, was, it was a cool, it was a cool, unexpected moment. For you sure. had the handshake redemption because then, like, it wasn't enough for Janai Broom to just be like, "Oh, Mr. Freeman, I'm very sorry." He then comes back over just to make, "Hey, I just want to make sure I'm sorry. Are we cool, Mr. Morgan Freeman?" Um, because I have you ever had one of those moments, not where you swat somebody away and then you realize it's a uh, prince or whatever, but like. <laughs> When you see somebody and they're just there all of a sudden and you it's the last thing you could have imagined seeing and it, it's just sort of startling or it, it catches you for a second. No, like I, I have the reverse of that. And this was the the tournament was at the Garden the year South Carolina won out of that regional to get to the final four. I'm almost positive that's what it was. And this wasn't the Elite Eight. This was the Sweet 16. I think it was that. It might have been the Big East. I don't, I don't remember why this person was there. I think I've mentioned this on the show, but it's been a long time. And I was, I was doing something somewhere else. I can't remember at what point. This was before game, halftime, after game. I don't remember. Um, but I know Nicole Auerbach was there along with Jeff Borzello and some other media people. Although Borzello, I don't think, was at this when it happened. Ralph Russo from the AP might have been there. And I was around a corner. And so I didn't see the celebrity, but I've regretted it ever since, ever since. Cause like I went to do something and I was like, ah, I think I know this one. Double back. Yeah. 
And so I turn the corner and it's right near the media area. And everyone's just kind of like got a little buzz to him and like, oh, I can't believe it. He was right here. I can't believe that he was right here. Oh my God. I'm like, I'm like, what are you guys talking about? You're like, what? I was like, you weren't here? I was like, no, I was just a, I goes, coming back. He's like, Paul McCartney just left. He's right. I was like, what the hell? Like just now, he's like, they're like, he walked, he was like, because he had just turned the corner. He's like, no, no, he just left 10 seconds ago. And I wasn't going to be the doofus to be like, oh, go follow and see where Paul McCartney's walking. No, so I just missed, you know, arguably the greatest songwriter in the history of the planet from uh, from at least being in his presence. I don't know if I would have said hello. I don't know how much security detail he had with him or whatever. Although he's very famous for being, for willing. I think he's willing to say hi, shake your hand, but he does not do selfies and pictures. I think that's McCartney's thing. And he's got a whole uh, philosophy of why why he does that but uh but anyway so that's not what your question was but uh i was almost in a situation where i would have turned and been face to face i had one just a few weeks ago. i've got a bunch of these but i had one just a few weeks ago in the delta sky club at laguardia like i was sitting down and i was sitting down at a table because it had like a lot of outlets and i needed outlets and i'm just sitting down and i'm like completely like locked in on work i'm just and a guy sits down right next to me and you just sort of look over as they're getting there. I just sort of glanced over and I was like, oh, hey, what's up, J.K. Simmons? <laughs> it's just the dude from Whiplash. Yeah, right? of course. He's, he he's just, he's, and, hey, but you got you got the you got the shaved dome commonality yeah. between, you you know? Yeah. So, you, so that that was one. It's just like, oh, wow. Um, I had one at like a, it was one of those all Nike All-America camps or LeBron James something. It was an event. This was a long time ago. But it was one where it was sanctioned for NBA executives. Like the NBA people could come there and evaluate. They were allowed in the building. And all I remember is we were standing around the court. It was a multi-courts inside of a big building. And everybody's just sort of standing around. And I was standing with a group of people. And it was like, I don't even, I honestly have have no recollection of who else was there. But it was just, let's just call it four people standing in a circle talking. And I'm one of them. And my back, and like, and just like this. And I don't like to be touched. Like, I don't like people touching me. I get, I get uncomfortable. So like, if you ever walk up, like if you, if you ever walk up to me and be like, GP, and put your hand right there. I get, yeah. I don't like, I don't like that at all. And I got, I, so I'm just standing there and I don't even, I'm not even talking. We're just sort of, we're talking. And a, I feel a hand on my shoulder and a guy and somebody goes, what's up guys. And I'm like, why is this hand on my shoulder? And I go like this. Michael Jordan. <laughs> oh man! And I want to be clear, it wasn't like Michael Jordan was like, "There's GP." Yeah. I don't. I don't. It, I think he recognized somebody I was talking to and just yeah. sort of walked up, and it's my shoulder though. was just the one he hit. But it was like, imagine like being frustrated, like who is touching me? And it's like Michael Jordan. <laughs> hey, Michael Jordan. Most famous people in the history of the planet. Okay. Right. Nice. I have one. I used to in New York. I'd stay on a Fifty Seventh, and I'd every day, same schedule. I'd walk out the back door of the hotel, take a left, and I'd go to this little market and get like a hot breakfast, right? Eggs and sausage and whatever. Every day, same walk. One day I walk out, take a left. I had just, I think I told this story before. I had just been reading, they called it like the greatest night in the history of the comedy cellar, or whatever. And it was like Aziz Azari, uh, uh, Dave Chappelle, uh, uh, who's the cook? Not Dane Cook. No, no, no. But like big Chris Rock was there. Amy Schumer was there. They all performed like last night at the Comedy Cellar, you know, late at night. And it was like being described. It was all over the Internet, like the greatest night in the history of the Comedy Cellar. So I just got through reading that. I get up, go get breakfast. And by go get breakfast, get up, I mean like at 1030. And I walk out the back. I take a left 
Chris Rock. Dave Chappelle. Chappelle. Literally yeah. in the same hoodie that he was photographed in the night before. I had just looked at a photograph of him in this hoodie. And I just, I'm just sort of walking and I look up and it's like, I mean, me and Dave Chappelle across me. I hit him with one of these. What's up? I hit him <laughs> with one of these. And he hit me back with one of those. There you go. I think that's, I think that's, uh, and that, to, 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 that's what happened to Janai Broom. It is on Saturday. He was like, who's touching me? Oh my God. It's Morgan Freeman. You had the handshake redemption. I had, where was Janai broom? Uh, back when we needed him to slap Morgan Freeman's hand away from that box with Gwyneth Paltrow's head in it. For the young ones out there that are unfamiliar, that is the movie seven. Uh, that's a spoiler alert. But then again, the movie's now like 27 years old. What's in the box? Hey, I saw somebody. What's in the box? Yeah, what's in the box, right? All right. Spoiler yep. alert if you've never seen Seven. Oh, it's so good. You've got it all. <laughs> okay, how about, are you ready for this? Somebody, I saw somebody, I don't know where, either I saw this or it just popped into my head. Sometimes things happen late at night and I can't quite recall how mm-hmm. or why. But um, what happens to Brad, if there's a Seven Part Two, where do we find Brad Pitt's character? I have no idea. <laughs> No way he gets convicted of murder. Even no. though he shot, he shot a defenseless man. He shot a defensive man a million times who was no threat to him. I still don't think he ever goes to jail. Yeah, probably not. But credit to not, that was back in an era where not every movie had to have a sequel or a third part or a fourth part or its own cinematic universe. And do you remember? Do you remember? Movie over and they go straight. It's like one of, it, it is one of the few I can hear the song. It goes straight into a big song. Ooh, I can't remember the song. What's the song? David Bowie's song. Mm-hmm. Hearts filthy lesson. 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 Enough ASMR on the pod. Thank you. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. We're gonna get this whole thing shut down. <laughs> Okay. Oh my gosh. I thought we were going to get out in 70 minutes. I was wrong. All right. Let's let's man. You you want to start a podcast early on Sunday. I ain't got nothing else to do. Yeah. I know. Raining outside. It's not like I can go to the golf course. Let's just talk. Let's just talk about David Bowie. I got the, I got my boys are trying to get a little, little outside time before the sun sets here. So let's roll. St. Mary's wins at Gonzaga. Some, how about some bubble wins? Uh, St. Mary's won at Gonzaga. We'll circle back that real quick. Uh, Indiana state wins 75, 67 over Drake. That's a win for you in the final four and one. That should have been a Drake cover. So it goes. Indiana State ended on an eight nothing run. Uh, and Drake missed seven of its eight final shots there. Robbie Avila, 20 points, 11 rebounds. Good job by ISU. And a good result for the Valley. Butler on Friday night, 99-98. Yet another game that was a disastrous ending just in terms of time to wrap this stuff up, man. No Posh Alexander. Butler still wins. Um uh, I saw on the, the the team notes, it was the first time the entire season Butler changed the starting lineup uh, mandatory because Posh wasn't available there. Uh, both teams shot 55% and Butler hit 13 threes. That's a good win for Butler, obviously, in the Big East. Uh, so didn't want to overlook that. It was a late, it was really the only game of true note on Friday. And, uh, and yeah, a surprising outcome there for the Bulldogs. GP has been asking the question all year, is Creighton any good? <laughs> and with these past week, they are looking at making him look prophetic, I guess. And then uh, I'll at least acknowledge Washington State winning in overtime at Washington, 90 to 87. The more work to do, 
But just keep an eye. Like, no, I am. Every so often, we got a team that kind of just it, it sneaks around the corner here out of nowhere. Maybe that will be Wazoo. But let's uh, let's talk Gales versus Zags here because uh, there's a lot. Um, uh, Gonzaga still doesn't have a win over a tournament team. He doesn't have a quad one win. It has, in my opinion, it has four quad one opportunities left to be like to have a, a maybe an at-large resume. And by that, I mean they got to go to Kentucky next weekend. They still have to play at San Francisco and at St. Mary's. It'll be three quad one games. And then they would play either San Francisco or St. Mary's almost certainly in the in the semis of the WCC. That would be a quad one matchup likely as well. And then that's all they get. Because if they were to, the fifth quad one game, if they were to win it, they're the auto bid. So it doesn't matter. I think... If Gonzaga, and I don't think it's going to happen, but if Gonzaga were to run the table, literally run the table, get to four quad one wins, and then lose in a competitive title game to St. Mary's, maybe it would have an at-large case at that point. It doesn't have one now. Uh, it wasn't a good moment on Saturday night. This was the last tip on a busy day. Fans started throwing trash on the court uh, because of the officiating. Uh, Mark Few had to like go over and approach him. It wasn't quite... Coach K level screaming at the students for capable to sit with them, but it was it was not good. Did, and then I didn't see he did the cut it out. He did the cut it. He did the cut it out, and then I, the, the cameras didn't show it. But uh, Sean Farnham was on the broadcast. He said that after the game was over, even more trash got thrown onto the court. Uh, St. Mary's gets to win a big time win. It's completely flipped its season around. It has a viable tournament resume at this point. Your thoughts on what uh, what we saw in Spokane and the prospect that we might have for the first time in a quarter century a tournament without Gonzaga in it? Well, on that, I mean, I think we're trending in a direction where would you say that's more likely than not at this point? It does feel more likely than not at this point. Yeah. I mean, they're 0-5 in quadrant one and just three and six in the first two quadrants. Strength of record is 69. KPI is 77. So when you're in some of these computers and you're like, well, the Zags, they still, you know, top 30 in this. That's, that is all because of stuff baked in from previous seasons. They are not one of the top 30 teams in the country right now. Again, strength of record, 69. KPI 77. Um, yeah, they got they got they've got opportunities, but the next three quad ones, they're they're all road games. One of them's at Rupp. Like good luck. If you can't get a quad one win at home, you gonna go get them on the road? I mean, maybe, maybe. Maybe. That's a that's an absolute desperate situation. But, Losing fan base in that game next Saturday. We'll save it for Friday. But that's, and then, that's and then, uh, as for St. Mary, I moved St. Mary's into the top 25 and one. I, I've got them at 26. I think they've now done enough to offset some of the bad stuff they did to their resume early in the season. They're obviously playing well right now. Even if Gonzaga is down by Gonzaga standards, going in the kennel and winning, still no joke. And just to highlight Washington State, because we've reached the point where I'm now, you know, we had all those Big 12 teams take bad losses. Those kind of good, rankable Big 12 teams take losses to unranked teams on Saturday. So I'm like, all right, I got to get you out of there. I got to get you out of there. Ole Miss, you got to go. And I'm looking for new candidates. I went with St. Mary. Washington State is sneaky, sneaky better than people realize. How about this? Seven and five in the first two quadrants with one quadrant three loss, but they do have four quadrant one wins. Like this is one where the predictive metrics aren't going to love them too much, but they are strength of record right now, top 45 in the country, KPI top 35 in the country. It is a team I'm at least looking at as a possible top 25 and one uh, member if they keep winning at, at the way they're winning lately. 
Uh, St. Mary started the season three and five. It's now 15 and one since then completely flipped it around. Um, and that's your weekend whip around. We've got a few games to look ahead to. So we're going to get to that, but not a first. It's a late one, but we still are owed one more word from those partners. All right, dead leg. Eh, looking ahead to the next couple of nights. Yeah. Kansas, Kansas State on Monday. Kansas State coming off a rough loss. Yeah, it's not going the right way for K State right now. Yeah. No, we talked about them. Like you get, you get. There's, there's. They were always going to be the type of team that if they were going to get there, it was going to be like because they were 500 in the Big 12 or one game below 500 in the Big 12. They were going to have to win. They, they can't afford to take the losses like the one they just took this weekend. Now you got the Jayhawks coming into town playing really well. Um, you know, rivalry game. I, I wouldn't rule out anything crazy, but these two teams are operating at different levels right now. Miami is at Virginia. Do you care about that? Only like Virginia don't blow it. Virginia won 66, 65 at Clemson. We can touch on them real quick here. That's another bubble game. And for both teams, um, Virginia's back in the tournament conversation as a result of that GP. And you know, it's now won six in a row, eight and three in the ACC. Clemson is fading. And now Virginia just, they got home Miami at FSU, which I believe lost to Louisville over the weekend home pit for Virginia home wake forest. So, there is runway there for Virginia to firmly slide into the number three spot spot in the ACC. UVA fans think they're already there. I hear you on that. Um, I thought that was a, a fairly important win for them to uh, to keep that moving. Can't mess it up by dropping a home game Monday against the U. On Tuesday, um, much better schedule. Clemson at North Carolina. See if the Tar Heels can continue to run through the ACC. Iowa State at Texas. That should be a good one. Uh, Iowa State. So was well, that... For Iowa State, I guess this is just life in the Big 12, but at Baylor, at Texas, back-to-back? Life in the Big 12, my friend. That's life in the Big 12. Dayton at St. Joe's is on CBS Sports Network. Dayton um, looks like it's going to easily win the Atlantic 10. I've got Dayton in the top 15 of the top 25 and one. St. Joe's is like, you know, they're good enough to play around with people at home. That'll be an interesting game. BYU's at Oklahoma. Butler at UConn. I don't think that's any real issue. Uh, but probably probably they did just win at Creighton. They got a little juice. We'll see. Yeah. Texas Tech at Baylor. Yeah. And uh, Nevada at Utah State late at night. Uh, we also got Ole Miss at South Carolina. That's a 630 Eastern. We got actually Tuesday's pretty loaded here. Um, there's a lot going on on Tuesday. That's a, that's a big slate. We'll have no shortage of stuff to talk about Wednesday. You are back in studio this week, correct? No, I'm home. I think oh, like on Super Bowl stuff, maybe everybody's in Las Vegas. Yeah. And so we have a light schedule. Like I think on Tuesday night where we usually, or at least often we'll have a triple header. I think yeah. we only have one game on our air. Okay. So I'm in, it's, it's actually been nice. I, I mean, I'm not asking for it and I never asked for it. I, I'm appreciative of all the time I get to, uh, spin in studio. It's like it's never lost on me. I'm lucky to be able to do this stuff. But I will tell you, having a two week break right in the middle of it to just stay home has been a little re energizing. Like, you know, putting put my suitcase up for a minute. So I'm home all week. Um, and, and, but it, and that is primarily because everything is is out on, you know, CBS is everything. Might have heard we have the Super Bowl this year. You might have heard we have the Super Bowl. There was, there was talk, preliminary talk, just uh, rumors, might have just been scuttlebutt. I heard somebody say, "Hey, hey, you 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 think they'll just take all the basketball shows out to Las Vegas too?" And I said, "Ooh, wouldn't that be interesting?" 
And then I never heard anything else about it. I think I guess they decided not to. Uh, fair, fair <laughs> enough. This also, by the way, podcast programming. This means that uh, unless I'm speaking out of school here, we will probably have a 9 a.m. Eastern Wednesday morning live show. Yeah, live show. Normally, when GP's in New York, he's up late. We push it to 10 a.m. He'll be home. So if you want to watch us live on Wednesday, recapping a huge slate on Tuesday, 9 a.m. Eastern on YouTube. Tell your friends. Let's wrap up real quick. We got Grammys Sunday night on CBS. You might. Grammys on CBS, as always. I'm just going album of the year and song of the year. Here are the nominees. And I'm not saying predicted. I'm just saying which of these uh, was your favorite. So song of the year, we got, it looks like eight, seven or eight nominees here. Uh, A&W, Lana Del Rey, Antihero, Taylor Swift, Butterfly by John Patiste, Dance the Night by Dua Lipa from Barbie, uh, Flowers by Miley Cyrus, Kill Bill, SZA, or as you say, Scissor, uh, Olivia Rodrigo. I'm not going to plead guilty to that. That's not what I said. I'm not going to, I'm going to fight that allegation. I never said, I might've said scissor with a Southern accent, but I didn't say scissor like a nerd. <laughs> I, 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 you said scissor. I plead not guilty. I'm not, I'm going to fight the allegation. No contest in that one, Frank. I'm fighting the allegation. <laughs> Okay. This is a flashback to our pre-Christmas episode earlier this season, if you know what I'm talking about. Uh, Kill Bill by SZA, Vampire by Olivia Rodrigo, and What Was I Made For, Billie Eilish, also from Barbie. My, f- I, I don't know all... I, I can't queue up all these songs in my head. Uh, I think the Dua Lipa song from Barbie is actually a pretty good song. So of, of this group here, I think I would pick the Dua Lipa song. What about you? Okay. Here's the problem. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. You got another hour? No, I don't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the problem. First off, as oh, you might have from the boneyard, absolutely one percent said scissor. Check the tape. Okay, continue. I'm fighting the allegation. I know it's S Z A. I also am from Mississippi. Sometimes I slip up, but I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna have y'all out there acting like I said. <laughs> I love Tupac. He's my favorite rapper. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna have this. I'm not going to have people out there thinking I said scissor. I might have said something that sounds like that, but that would only be because I'm from Mississippi. Uh, I know who this woman is. I know who this woman is. All seriousness? Yes. She clearly, clearly had the album of the year. It's a masterpiece. Oh, this is song of the year. I know. This is where I'm getting to. Okay. So I'm going to go with Kill Bill as song of the year. But Kill Bill is not even the best song on that album. It's not even a top well, five song on that that's album. What, I mean, that's what you're going to get. Oh, the Grammys, and that's just what you're going to get. I hear I hear you on that, though. Um, but I would go... Well, here's the thing. You ready for this? I'm yep. assuming it'll either be SZA. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> there you go. Or Taylor Swift winning everything, right? That's uh, you wonder. You almost like is that because I think that the deal here with Taylor Swift is that uh, she's showing up, not performing, hopping on the uh, the old private jet, and then she's off to Tokyo. the other side of the Pacific Ocean for a few shows, and then she's going to dip back over in six days to uh, yes. Super Bowl. That's right. Um, so here's the th- here's the, oh by the way, I was just assuming like t- Scissor should SZA, SZA. Uh, should win everything. Uh, 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 flag on the play. Continue. SZA should win everything, but I'm assuming Taylor because here's the problem. Taylor Swift is the artist of the year. There's no getting around that because of the unprecedented tour she has went on. She's the biggest deal in the world. SZA had mm-hmm. the best album, and it's not close. All right? So okay. I was like, I'm worried they're going to give all the awards to the wrong person, and this is exactly what set Kanye off back then 
He thought they were just giving the awards to the wrong people. But I saw on Twitter as we were talking, you know how sometimes they give out awards before the show even starts? Yes. There is a category like best pop duo and SZA was nominated for it. So was Taylor Swift and SZA won that award. Okay. So she's already beat Taylor Swift one. So I don't know what to think. Here's what I'm telling you. Yeah. Anti-Hero is not the best song on Taylor Swift's Midnight's album. What is? Uh, Vigilante shit. Okay. I, I, that's keep the going. one that... That's the... That's the, curve there. Keep going. That's the one that's a banger, I think. So I don't think the two songs nominated from these women's albums, I don't think they're the best songs, but whatever. I'll go Kill Bill. Okay. Album of the Year nominees are World Music Radio by John Baptiste, The Record by Boy Genius. That is a good album. Uh, Endless Summer Vacation by Miley Cyrus. Did you know that there's a tunnel under Ocean Boulevard by Lana Del Rey? The Age of Pleasure, Janelle Monet, Guts, Olivia Rodrigo, Midnight's by Taylor Swift, and SOS by SZA. Um, I have not listened to all of these it records. It should not even be close. You think it's? You th- I have listened to SOS, and it is undeniably a very, very strong. Uh, I would argue it's like, it, like it belongs on like album of the decade list, all that stuff. It's it's yeah. a masterpiece. Twenty three tracks, sixty eight minutes, and it's like it's everything. It's rap, pop, R and B, rock. Everything's there. She's amazing. Like I, I, yeah. I know we're having fun. I'm, I'm, yeah. no, I'm she- being sincere, and I know I'm a forty seven year old man. Ain't nobody here to be like, oh, well, what does GP thinks hip? I got it. I understand. I know who I am. I'm just telling you for my ears, there is no album in 2023 I listened to more than that album. And there's no album that I thought was. I have more favorite artists who put out albums. Nobody put out a better album than that woman did this year. Not close. Well, we'll have to wait and see. If you're listening on a Monday or Tuesday, you already know who won. And uh, if Taylor Swift uh, does not win, uh, the uh, the fallout potentially, I guess, from that, whatever. Uh, we don't need to judge art off of these uh, these constraints, but whatever. Or shows exist for a reason. I understand that. But love what you love and uh, don't apologize for it. There's a lot of good stuff here. And also outside that realm, uh, plenty of good stuff that obviously never gets nominated for the Grammys. Nonetheless, always an interesting night to uh, drive. And we got that and we have Curb tonight. Oh, wow. Curb tonight as well, debuting. Final season. So we got that to look forward to as well. And episode four of uh, True Detective. Um, I'm months away from starting now. This is going to be a great Sunday night. That's why we did a pod nice and early. And look at us getting in and out for you in what? 75 minutes. I might turn up right now. I might start turning up right now. You might see some wild tweets tonight during the Grammys. I might turn up right now. You go ahead and turn up. Hey, are we just going to... 75 minutes. You can't want. You can't want. Bring yourself to say, congrats on the 5-0 and weekend, GP. Well, okay. Because, one, you've never done that. <laughs> Two, when you, when you lose in the final four and one, I wait until the next Friday. But, yeah, 5-0. I actually didn't know you went 5-0. and I knew you beat me, but I know you went 5-0. and Look at that. I have been surmounted. We've got an anti-surmount situation going on. We're switching mounts right now. We got, we got quite the mount situation. Got switched up sometimes, dead leg. 5-0 and o for GP in the final 4-1. and one. We're both well above 500 this season. If you care about those matters, we do not. But that's uh, that's the case, and we will continue on Friday. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry MF and Tingle Legend. Shouts to Huck. Larnell, thank you guys once again for watching, listening to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. If you're not subscribed, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple, Spotify. There's more of us than there are of them. That should be reflected in the comments. So do that. We'll talk to you again on Wednesday morning. Till then. Take care.